John chapter 9. I'll be reading the whole chapter. Uh, John is recounting here what Jesus uh, did after his time at the Feast of Tabernacles in the temple. Remember how last we heard of him, he had escaped uh, from those who were trying to kill him. He had said before Abraham was, I am. And they got their stones and they were ready to stone him to death as a blasphemer. Um, And it's a little unclear perhaps how much time passes, if hardly any time passes, or whether this is a different day. Uh, But after that point, we come across uh, an account of something that is going to Uh, expand on what he had said in the previous chapter, that he is the light of the world. And he does a sign, a miracle, that will teach us more uh, about that fact, about that truth that Jesus is the light of the world. So listen now as I read chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, it says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but, it's, uh, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and watch. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner... Do such signs. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, 
He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You are born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Dear Father, we thank you for your, your word and delivering us good news of Jesus Christ and for recording these things for our good. We thank you for sending your Son as the light of the world. And we pray now that you would enlighten our eyes and enable us to see and behold and embrace the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is one of the signs that John has decided to record in his gospel. Uh, he'll speak at the end of this book of how he recorded certain signs. He could have recounted a lot more, but he has selected some to, to record. And why? Well, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the purpose of the signs, and that's why he wrote this sign. And it's a sign. It's both a miracle but it's not just a miracle it's a sign and that it teaches us it's like a it's uh, a symbol or it has significance beyond a mere expression of power uh, it, it, it teaches us it is a demonstration of divine power and that is pretty significant in the uh, chapter uh, you know who is he that he did such a thing you know could a sinner 
pull this off? Um, this is something that we have never heard of before, since the world began, as the man says. Who, who has healed a man born blind? And so, you know, as they discuss, is this uh, the work of a, a sinner, or is this the work of someone who is from God? Doesn't this show him to be from God? But it's also a vivid lesson on spiritual blindness. Who are the truly blind ones in this passage? Is it the man born blind, or is it those who said that they could see and yet just couldn't see? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. There is the Pharisees, the Jews, the authorities, who are not getting it, are are resisting even considering that Jesus might be the Christ. And it's evident by the end, it's made quite explicit, uh, that they are the ones who see but become blind when they encounter Jesus Christ, just as the blind man who is literally blind could see, and could see in more ways than one. He saw literally, and he saw the truth. Jesus says, you have seen me, and that has a double meaning, that he both saw Jesus and he really saw Jesus for who he was. I believe, he said, and worshipped him. And so there is the man born blind and healed by Jesus who was able to see the truth, and there were the Pharisees who were not physically blind, but they did not see the truth. As he had proclaimed, Jesus is the light of the world. He gives light to the world so that people may see. In other words, that they might have knowledge, knowledge of salvation, knowledge of God, knowledge of sin, the conviction of sin, knowledge of the gospel. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, that kind of light, eternal life. He enlightens the blind, but some reject the light and remain in darkness. Well, let's begin first with the discussion, Jesus and his disciples. Then we'll look at the healing, and then we'll look at the investigation, and then finally, Christ's reception of the outcast. First, then, the discussion. Uh, Jesus is passing by, and he sees the man born blind, blind from birth, and he and his disciples discuss this. His disciples wonder, was it because of his sin or his parents' sin that he was born blind? You know, normally they probably would expect it's the man's fault that he's blind, that there would be a chastisement upon him, but this guy was born blind, so that seems uh, odd. How how would he be able to, his sin, be able to cause this blindness from birth? Um, Was it his parents' sin? They bring this question to Jesus. But Jesus says that it was not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned. Those are not the reasons why this man was born blind. It wasn't because of a a particular sin that uh, had brought this judgment upon him. Rather, what was the reason? The reason was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We learn here that not all misery can be ascribed to a particular sin. This was an error that the miserable comforters of Job had. Remember when Job was afflicted and lost everything and was in great pain and misery? And the reader of the book knows that it wasn't because he had done some great wickedness, but rather it was because he was blameless. It was because he was righteous that he was being afflicted so much. But his 
friends didn't understand this and said, you must have done something horribly wicked. You, sh- you should repent because of all of this affliction. But not all misery should be ascribed to a particular sin. That can be the case. But what you should look for is not whether this person is miserable, but whether this person has sinned. If you're looking at yourself, which you should look at yourself more so than looking at others, you should consider what you have to repent for. And if you've sinned, and then you suffer, especially if you suffer for it, then you can connect the dots. And yes, I should humble myself before the Lord, realizing I deserve much worse, repent of my sins, and seek after godliness. You can reason that way, but not reason from, well, this is certainly miserable. I must have done something very displeasing to the Lord. And, and that must be why I am suffering this. And certainly when we look at others, God has many reasons for suffering. Sometimes, like we saw in the sermon earlier this morning, sometimes it is to correct a particular sin. Jacob had deceived his father and was disciplined for that and learned to see that deception as he was in turn deceived by Laban. But God has other reasons too. Sometimes it is to test and to try a person, to demonstrate to, to train him to to trust in him as he tested israel in the wilderness with whether what was in their heart would they trust him or not uh, sometimes it is like here to display the works of god in him as god displayed uh his works in job in 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 one way you know demonstrating his character amid trials well here in a different way the works of god were displayed in this man born blind because jesus would heal him and he would be a testimony to the power and goodness of Jesus Christ and his uh, gospel of salvation, bringing uh, true knowledge and life to the lost. And so God has many reasons for the misery that exists in the world, and that should be a, a comfort to us uh, to, to know that God works all things for his glory that he is in control, and though his ways may be mysterious for us in the moment, uh, that he is nevertheless working his good will. But we also learn in verses 4 through 5 that the time is limited for the work for which God sent his son, that work of enlightening the world. Jesus says, we must, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Certainly, Jesus' life, earthly ministry, his life on earth, was limited. He only had so much time to do that work on earth. And then, more broadly, we might say that he has but this age for the work of salvation, to be that light to the lost, uh, that is, during this age. And there will be a time, judgment day, when this work concludes. And then there's a sense in each, each one of you have but one life to work for God in this age. Certainly we'll all have eternity with him, but you have work to do now in this life, in this age, and you only have so much time. You actually don't know how much time you have, but the day is coming when no one will work, can work. And so as Christ put himself to work and redeemed the time, making the best use of the time, And so we must do it, as he says. We must work the works of him. So they discuss this. And having said this, Jesus goes into 
action. He sees this man blind from birth. Did the man ask him for healing? doesn't say he asked him for healing. He simply sees him. Seems like maybe he was begging. Maybe he asked Jesus for some food or money. But he probably didn't ask to be healed of his blindness. But Jesus decides to heal him. And he decides to do so in a way that is rather unique. He takes some dirt. Can you imagine doing this? He takes some dirt and then spits in the dirt. So that turns the dirt into mud, right? And works up that mud with saliva and dirt. And then he puts that on the guy's eyes and makes his eyes all dirty with the dirt and the mud. And then says, go to this pool. There was this pool of water in Jerusalem, one of the several pools in Jerusalem, and says, go and wash off this dirt that you might be healed. And the guy does it. (laughs) That's probably incredible too. But he, he obeys the words of Jesus and goes to this pool and he washes in the pool and he came back seeing. Now he had never seen Jesus. He didn't see Jesus because he was blind before and now he sees but he doesn't know where Jesus is. But he did know a lot more about Jesus than others who rejected him. But he was healed. Jesus healed the man born blind with saliva, dirt, and the pool that was named Sent. Perhaps referring to how Jesus was sent by his father uh, to do works like this. But not only that, Jesus healed a man widely known as a man born blind. His neighbors knew that he had been born blind, that he had been blind his whole life from the time he was a baby all the way up to whatever age he was, that he had always been blind. In fact, uh, some of the people say, well, this is the man who was born blind. Others say, no, just as a person that looks just like him, spitting image, must have been a twin or something. You know, this, this, this can't be. But he continues to insist, I am the man. I'm the same guy that you knew. Jesus heals a man who had been widely known as a man born blind. A person who was known. He didn't just show up one day with some guy and say, trust me, this guy is blind. I'm going to heal him and pull it off like a trick. But he took someone who was already living there and who was known as this blind man and healed him. But not only that, in verse 14, we find in this healing that Jesus healed when? On the Sabbath day. He even worked with his hands on the Sabbath day. He got his hands dirty on the Sabbath day. He took the dirt and he spit in it and he put it on the guy's eyes and he healed him all on the Sabbath day. Now, this was appropriate to do, as we've seen before. It was a deed of mercy a deed of doing good and and showing this kindness to this person who was in misery. It was not a deed of necessity. There was not urgency to it. He could have done it the next day. But it was a deed of mercy that was appropriate to show on a day in which God gives rest to his people. And Jesus was giving rest and healing to this man. But didn't Jesus know better? Didn't he know that he would get in trouble for healing on the Sabbath day? Didn't he know that this would cause offense that those Pharisees would, would cause a controversy out of this? Why didn't he just not rock the boat and wait until the next day just for the sake of peace? But no, he goes ahead and he heals on the Sabbath day. He doesn't really care about their objections to it because he knows that it's right and it's a good thing to do and it fits with the works that his father gave him to do. And so he goes ahead and does it. 
John Calvin comments on, on this fact, how he healed on the Sabbath day. He says, we are taught by this example that if we would follow Christ, we must excite the wrath of the enemies of the gospel, and that they who endeavor to effect a compromise between the world and Christ so as to condemn every kind of offenses are altogether mad, since Christ, on the contrary, knowingly and deliberately provoked wicked men. We ought to attend, therefore, to the rule which he lays down, that they who are blind and leaders of the blind ought to be disregarded. He appeals also to Matthew 15, where after some of his teachings against the scribes and Pharisees, some of the people say, don't you know the Pharisees are going to be offended at these sayings? And he says, no, let, let them go their own way. We can disregard what they think. This is still the truth, and we're going to say it. Uh, you could take this point in a wrong way. He wasn't rude. He wasn't, in a way, uh, provoking them for doing evil things. But he was going ahead and doing what was right, teaching what was right, even if some of the enemies of the gospel were going to be offended at it and maybe even attack him and be provoked by it. But he did not conform or compromise with them. Then there is the investigation. Not only were the neighbors talking about this man, but they bring the matter to the Pharisees. Whether this is the Sanhedrin or whether this is the local synagogue, which might be more likely, they bring him to probably some of the elders who had some jurisdiction over the synagogue, who are experts in the law, and ask them what to do about this situation. Now, there's a division among them. Some think that this man is not from God because he healed on the Sabbath. Others say, well, I think he is from God because he did this great work. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? So there's a division among them. Christ causes a division uh, by implication, indirectly, as they are divided over him. The man himself thinks Jesus is a prophet. But those who are convinced that Jesus is a sinner did not believe that the man had been born blind. You know, think of, they're thinking, Jesus healed on the Sabbath, that would be a sin, and therefore he must not have actually healed him, because he actually wasn't born blind, he's just faking it. And so they don't believe that he was actually born blind, and so who do they call? They call the man's parents. They call the man's parents and say, you parents, you, you're, no, you're going to know whether this is truly your son and whether he was actually born blind. Your parents would know if you were born blind or not. They've been there all along from your earliest years. But even before they arrived there, we could say that Jesus had not sinned, that he did what was appropriate on the Sabbath day, that he did and taught only good, and his miracle then was a vindication from God. If there is a, a, a miracle like this, we would know from the Old Testament, uh, possibly it could be a, a false prophet who's trying to lead people away from the Lord. But Jesus wasn't trying to lead people away from the Lord. Uh, he was not uh, a, a false teacher. He would say, the law of Moses points to me, is a witness to me and my claims. But instead, that these great works, the alternative was that this was one from God. That these were a divine vindication of his message. And in fact, the, uh, the power of the miracles as well, the, the powers of a true prophet, as we see with Moses and the magicians of Egypt, would be greater. 
and those who are false. So the alternative explanation that the man had not in fact been born blind, that fails. They think maybe that's an explanation. Jesus must have been a sinner, so he's making this up. They call in the parents. The parents say, no, this is our son, and he was born blind. So that alternative explanation falls apart. But they don't change their mind. Uh, They press on. We learn also from the examination of his parents that those who confess Jesus to be the Christ can expect threats and rejection from those who are hostile to Christ. Especially when someone is converting, especially when someone is going from one thing to the next, when someone's going from being lost to found, people want to hold him back, bring him back to where he was, apply the pressure to keep him from making this change, as this man is convinced that he had been healed by Jesus, and that Jesus is not a sinner, but is from God. The Jews showed their willful hostility by prejudging the case, by threatening excommunication. If anyone confessed Jesus to be the Christ, they would be cast out of the synagogue. Well, I, I guess, I guess uh, they had already come to a conclusion. And this was the practice of excommunication, already existed before the New Testament, that in the synagogue, which was like the church in the Old Testament, uh, that the elders of the church could discipline a person by uh, casting them out of the synagogue, cutting off uh, their membership from that, that community. And that was an appropriate thing, but it was imp- inappropriately used here. Just as in the history of the church, sometimes excommunication has been wrongly used against those who are standing for the truth. In the Reformation, you know, there were those who were being excommunicated by the Pope, like Martin Luther, and he, he burned the papal bull that threatened him with excommunication uh, because he was being disciplined for confessing Christ and some of the essential truths of the gospel. And so we can expect threats and rejection from those who might be even important to us, and yet must needs to press on. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the name of Christ. We learn also and see here that God uses the despised of this world to shame the proud. This man was a beggar. He had been despised. Other people apparently had the idea that he was born in utter sin, that someone must have done something that caused him to be born in such a low condition, um, similar to the belief of Reincarnation. I don't know if people were thinking of reincarnation at the time or not. Calvin mentions that as a possibility. But certainly in societies that have believed that people have multiple lives and come back based on how well they did in the previous life cause people to look down on people who are miserable, that they must deserve it, that they're just getting what's coming to them, even if they were born in that condition. And this guy had been despised like that, one way or another, as we'll find at the end of this passage. And he was poor, but he is here healed, and he sees what seems like common sense. This guy did a great miracle. Why are we all upset at him? Meanwhile, the Pharisees are hostile in a way that's blind and irrational. And God is using here the despised of the world to put the proud to shame. At the end here, the authorities get frustrated with the man and cast him out. That threat of excommunication is applied against this poor guy. And he is cast out of the synagogue 
because of his adherence to Christ. And they do so recognizing that a miracle had occurred. They say, you are born in utter sin. So they're recognizing that he, in fact, was born blind. And they knew, of course, that he could see. So they knew that Jesus had done, in fact, a miracle. And yet they still discipline this guy and kick him out. They cast him out. So those who receive light from Christ can suffer for it very soon. Rejection from those who are very important to them. But we must love Christ more than parents, more than our friends, more than anyone, and press on and adhere to him. But after he is cast out, we find the final scene, the reception of Christ of this man. The Jews, the Jewish leaders had cast him out, but Jesus receives him in. How did Jesus receive him? How does Jesus receive people? How, how does Jesus receive people into his church? He received him through faith. Through faith. He asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in, in the Christ, in other words, being one of those messianic titles? The man wonders who this guy is. You know, who is the Son of Man? Who, who is he that I may believe in him? And says, it's me, the one who is talking to you. And he believes and he worships. And so Jesus will receive those who come to him. And he will by no means, he will by no means cast them out. As the people here had just cast them out, Jesus will receive them. Jesus will not cast them out, those who come to him. He will uh, continue to uphold them and save them. And then Jesus explains the significance of this sign. He says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Who was blind and could see? This man born blind, literally blind, but he had also uh, been in need of salvation like everyone else. Jesus came to a world that was blind in sin, who needed the light of the gospel. And Jesus came as the light of the world that they might have the light of life. And he came to those, therefore, who were in need of salvation, and he gives them sight. But who are those who could see who become blind? Well, as the Pharisees ask him further, he makes this quite plain that the Pharisees here were those who could see in the sense that they said that we see, but they proved to be blind when they were faced with Jesus. Their hostility was provoked, and they became irrational and hostile as they rejected the light and clung to the darkness. And so, what do we make of this? We should remember that Jesus is the light of the world, that he gives us the true knowledge of salvation, of God, whom no man has seen, but the one who has seen him has seen the Father, and we see him by faith, the true knowledge to the gospel, that the one who follows him will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It is amazing grace, right? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. You should give thanks to Christ for giving you sight, for giving you the light of life. Then walk in the light in accord with his word, with the truth that he has revealed. Walk in the light. 
And then in this way, shine with that light amid the world, even if it be hostile to you. And bring that light to others, that they too may see. Night is coming when no man can work. Let us make the best use of the time, walking in wisdom towards outsiders, always ready to speak of the light of the world. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for loving the world and doing, loving it in such a way that you sent your Son to be the Savior of the world, to bring light to this world, to bring life to the dead, that we might know you and uh, to be blessed in this knowledge, that we might receive life for forevermore. We pray that you would shed this light over all the world, that you would bring us away from darkness in our path, that we would walk in ways that are in accord with the truth of the blessed gospel. And we pray that you would uh, save the lost, even as uh, your son gave sight to this blind man. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.